Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow around along with us, there should be one in front of you there that you could grab out of the seat. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. Now, it's interesting how we plan things out as a, as a staff, and then God kind of puts everything together in some pretty cool ways. Um, we had mentioned at the beginning of the year that we were going to be preaching through our core values. And so what we've been doing, I'm sorry, te- preaching through our core value of teaching and living God's Word. And what we wanted to do to emphasize that was each month at the first Sunday of the month, we were going to take part of our core value and just kind of work right through, I'm sorry, part of our doctrinal statement and just work right through our doctrinal statement so that we as a church better understand what the, the, the things we believe are all about, and to really be able to grasp hold of them. Now, some are a little bit more uh, bigger picture type things. We got a lot of information there. So it's interesting. I started with the scriptures. We talked about the Trinity and God the Father last month. And now this month, um, God brought us right alongside and dumped us right into Jesus Christ, which is our doctrinal statement. We're going to read the first part of it up there in our doctrinal statement. We're also going to carrying the theme of Jesus Christ over to the first Sunday in the month of uh, May as well. So how God kind of put it all together there and how this happens to be Easter Sunday, so they definitely tie in 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 inextricable ways in our lives that we can really understand. So I'm going to put up on the screen there, if we could, our core value of... uh, No, we don't have it. Okay, sorry, never mind. Uh, I'll read it to you. That way you have that. It says this, We believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son is the Savior of humankind through his death on the cross and his resurrection. He is the living, powerful Lord who is worthy of all worship. I'm going to one more time to you. We believe, this is our church doctrinal statement on Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, is the Savior of humankind through his death on the cross and his resurrection. He is the living and powerful Lord who is worthy of all worship. That's the first part. We're going to get into bullet points underneath it in the next month. So on the Good Friday service, if you were here with us, our focus was on doubt. We focused a little bit on Thomas and how he had kind of a wrong name given to him, as many doubted, because Jesus had died and it seemed mind-boggling to them that he would come back again. But the one thing that we focused on in that A question that we brought up at the beginning and that we ended with is this question here. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? We live in a world that a lot of people have a lot of different concepts of Jesus. To some, Jesus is a lunatic. Crazy guy that lived and did these crazy outlandish things that really probably didn't happen and become all this fairy tale and status. To some, he was a good man. You know, good man lived a good life, and, you know, somebody we should kind of aspire ourselves to be like. People, he was a leader of men, a rabbi. He led them and taught them the scriptures. To some, he was a heretic. And to some who really got it, they understood that he was truly the Messiah that they had all been looking for. Just want to read a quick story to you that I want you to ponder as you think about in your life who is Jesus to you. 
Now, probably nobody here has ever heard of Edwin Thomas. Edwin Thomas, at age 15, debuted on the stage back in the early history of our nation, playing trestle to his father's Richard III. Within a few short years, he was playing the lead in Shakespearean tragedies throughout the United States and even into Europe. He was the Laurence Olivier of his time. He brought a spirit to tragedy that put himself in a class alone. He would have been a headliner in our day and age. He would have been on the red carpet. He would have been receiving Oscars. He would have been somebody everybody would have known about. But Edwin also had a younger brother. His name was John. And he was also an actor, although he wasn't quite in the same category as his older brother was. John did give a memorable impression of Mark Anthony in 1864, he was noted in some of the, uh, the, the news magazines of those times. They did an admirable job. Two years later, he performed his role in the theater, his last role, when he jumped from the box of a bloodied President Lincoln to the stage of Ford's Theater. Yes, it's not just the name of Thomas Edwin, but Thomas Edwin Booth and his brother's name is John Wilkes Booth that we're all very familiar with if we pay any attention to history as the man who took the life of President Lincoln. So you can imagine Edward, his brother, that we've never heard of, and imagine at that time what became a scandal to this man who's this number one in the box office individual, and now the brother of an assassin. What part put, perhaps did he play? What did he know about that? An invisible asterisk now stood beside Edwin's names in the minds of all people. He was no longer Edwin Booth, the consummate tragedi tragedian but Edwin Booth, the brother of the assassin. He withdrew from the stage for a while to ponder the question, why? Edwin Booth's life was a tragic accident simply because of his last name. Sensationalists wouldn't let him separate himself from his brother's crime. Now, if the story was over there, it would just be a sad story, and you might wonder why we tie it in. But let me finish a part that if you even have ever heard of Edwin Booth, I doubt that you ever heard this before. It's interesting to note that Edwin Booth carried a letter with him that could have vindicated him from his sibling's attachment to his brother. It was a letter from General Adam Badaw, Chief Secretary to General Ulysses S. Grant, thanking him for a singular act of bravery. It seems that while Edwin was waiting for a train on the platform at Jersey City, a coach he was about to board bolted forward. He turned in time to see that the young man had slipped from the edge of the pressing crowd into the path of the oncoming train. Without thinking, Edwin raced to the edge of the platform and linking his arm around a railing, grabbed the fellow by the collar and the grateful young man recognized him, but Edwin didn't recognize the young man. It wasn't until he received a letter of thanks that he learned that the young man was Robert Todd Lincoln, the son of his brother's future victim. Now, there's two different people we see in this Edwin Booth. To many, he was an assassin's brother, perhaps even somebody who participated in the planning. But to one boy and his father, he would be considered his savior, the man that risked his life to save another's. Now, Jesus Christ risked, not risked his life, but gave his life to save all mankind. And you may come here with a perception of who Jesus is. 
the names that I gave you, the titles that I shared with you. But today I want to call all of you to the scriptures and ask you, plead with you to try to see who Jesus of the Bible really is. And to ask yourself the question, who is he to you? Christians, we too often get so used to the name Jesus that we forget what he did for us. And we get busy in our lives and we set aside the deity and the power and the presence and the direction of Jesus Christ. Friends who may be here, perhaps without even a church background, you may think of Jesus and all the terms that are on Time Magazine and in the news websites and on social media. And I just encourage all of us here to get a fresh perspective from the scriptures of who Jesus really is. The first thing I want to talk with you about today is Jesus Christ, the Savior of humankind. Jesus Christ, the Savior of humankind. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 6 through 8, I want to read that to you. That's what are going to be our text is going to be, verses 6 through 11. And the Bible says this, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, it says here as we started out, who thought, excuse me, who though he was in the form of God. Now, we can get a wrong form because nowadays, I don't know about you, I grew up in the Justice League era. And I know, you know, Marvel and, and uh, the, the big uh, superhero movies, they can't seem to make enough of them. When I grew up, they had the cartoons of the Justice League. Does anybody remember the cartoons of the Justice League? Okay. They had the twins that when they put their rings together, they'd say, shape up. They could turn these, one would turn into a, 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 an animal or something. The other would turn into water or something like that. And they were like these cool wonder twins that helped out in the Justice League, the superheroes. And I remember, I loved watching that show. And, and you get an idea in your mind when you read form there that it takes on the shape of. But really, the word form here is talking about the forms that would be used. I'll use in our vernacular. The forms that would be used that you'd pour cement in, for, perhaps. And the forms are what, what give the, the, the direction, the, the look to whatever the cement is poured in there uh, becomes. It could be a sidewalk. It could be a curb. It could be something else. It takes the shape of whatever the form is there. So you think about that with Jesus. He's the one that is the form. He's the one that does the, the molding. He was the one that took the humanity he was in and still was able through his deity to show us who he really was who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped. Now equality. Now Jesus was all God. I shared when we went over our Trinity, there's a few things in scripture that are hard for our human minds to grasp. It's hard to think of God the Father, God the Son, and God, God the Holy Spirit all one. And we have lots of pictures we create, but it's a hard one to grasp. I, this is one I always have a hard time with. Jesus Christ has always been and always will be. Wow, I, I can't get that one. Some of these things are bigger than our human minds are able to comprehend. Jesus being all man and all God is a hard one to comprehend. But it was who he was. And he had every right and deity to be everything that his father was. He would be equal with him because that's what his standing was. And yet the scriptures say here, 
he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, when we use the word grasp, what are we talking about? In other words, he didn't carry out the things that he could have done because of his deity. Now, you go, what are you talking about? Well, there's lots of them, but I'll just share a few of them. He didn't, for instance, when he was on earth, have the heavenly glory or the heavenly relationship, that face-to-face relationship with his father anymore that he had when he was in heaven. He didn't have that anymore. He was constrained. He gave up the ability to be everywhere because he was constrained to the body in which he was placed or placed himself. He didn't have independent authority. He submitted, you'll see over and over again in the scriptures, to his father's will in favorable relationship with God because he took on man, excuse me, he took on sin, all of mankind's sin, and God the Father even turned his back on him because of that in his justice. See, those were things that he could have kept on to. There's a song that said, you know, that he could have called 10,000 angels to save him on the cross. Yeah, he could have. In fact, he didn't need the angels to do it. He could have done it himself. You got to keep this word in mind. Willingly. Willingly. Now, when I use the word willingly, I mean completely and totally willing. Not how we oftentimes do things. When I was a child and I had chores to do, I oftentimes did them willingly because I knew the consequence would happen. Don, go pick up, you know, take out the trash. The willingly started with this. Oh, I, I took it out. But it was evident that I wasn't happy about it. I would drag my feet, I would moan, I would talk about how my siblings don't have half the amount of work that I have to do. I would talk about how stinky the trash was and how heavy it was and why didn't anybody take it out earlier. And I would pull it out the whole time mumbling and whining and trash would fall and I'd get mad and I'd throw it in there. And man, that was, it got done. And I willingly did it, we could say in a broad context, but I wasn't happy about it. See, Jesus Christ embraced the calling that he had. He willingly, obediently, with the right heart and right spirit, went where he was directed by his Father, knowing that it was for the benefit of all mankind. It says there, without equality, but he says as we continue on and shared, um, in verse number, um, first, last half, a thing to be grasped. Then we see in verse 7, but emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a servant. Not just man, but a servant. He served mankind who he created. He did things for them in their boneheadedness, in their sinfulness. He waited on them and took care of them and understood them and put up with them. That's hard. It's hard for us as humans to put up with some things we have to do. Some of you have jobs. Man, you don't like what you have to put up with as you're serving in your job situation. Parents, as much as you love your kids, sometimes you think, I wish they'd just get a, just a hint of everything that I do that they can enjoy life. Servant. So not only just take on the form of flesh, but he became a servant. He served us. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be uncomfortable having certain people serve me because of the way I think of them. I have some teachers from high school and college that, man, they made a huge impact in my life. I've had pastors in the course of my life and other influential people that if they came and said, hey, John, I want to serve you, whoo, I'd have a hard time with that. 
You can't, no, not you, Mr. No, you can't do that. No, Mrs. So, you know, you, I mean, I can't even call them by their first names. You know, those kind of people in your life will always be Mr. Redmond to me. Why? Because of the impact and the way they, they invested themselves in your life. And boy, it'd be hard to serve them. It'd be hard possibly for you to have somebody in a high office to serve you or somebody with a lot of money to serve you. It would be awkward because who am I compared to who they are? But I think we lose a little bit of that when we think of what Jesus Christ has done because we're so used to it. It drones in our ear. The God of the universe left heaven and took on flesh and lived among us and served us. And what does it continue to say there? Not only did he serve us, took on the form of man and served, excuse me, uh, and served man, the form of God didn't count equality, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself in the form born in the likeness of men and being born, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He humbled himself he willingly, obediently, humbly took the role that was given to him to come to earth and to die for us. Now, I don't know about you, but the list of people I'd be willing to give my life with, wife for, it's probably going to be pretty short. I love you all a lot, but man, you got to think things through. If I did that, man, what would I leave my for my, who would take care of my wife? Who would watch over my kids? Who would take care of the responsibilities I have? Those things would all fly through most of our heads. Now, sometimes in a moment of emergency, you do it. But what if it was, hey, this person needs to live. They need your heart while you're living, so they're going to take it out, and you're going to die. Whoo, that'd be a hard one. It's one thing to say in the point of action, we jump in front of a bullet or push somebody out of the way as a car came flying by. That might be an action we have. But if you could think through, who would you really live your life for? Probably a pretty short list. And you know what would be one of the main categories on the list for most of us? It would have to be somebody that we love. That we would know that in our dying, we would give them an opportunity to continue living and living an abundant life and knowing that it was done because we love them dearly and would want them to grasp life with all its gospel. Love would motivate that. Another minimized because we hear it so often is John 3 16 God so loved you and I that he gave his one and only son that if anyone will believe in him perish but they'll have everlasting life that was the gift given to you and I John 3 16 and I note that it doesn't say here that he just died but what does it say on top of that it says, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. They took Jesus and they brutally beat him. And again, if you're not familiar with Roman law, it was not normal that somebody be whipped and then put on the cross. They were separate punishments, both severe punishments. The ripping was horrific ripping. It was oftentimes a ripping that would lead to death. 
because of either what had happened as a result of the whipping or what would happen afterwards from the infections. And there's Jesus after that whipping and that beating and that ridicule, and then they throw this heavy cross that probably weighed close to 200 pounds and had him start dragging it on his raw, bloody back. And over and over again, you and I have to remember, it was all for love. If he would not have died for our sins, then we wouldn't have the opportunity to have life. If we don't embrace that, then going to church is just a waste of time. It's a religious activity. But if he really did die on a real cross for our real sins, that we could have a real eternity in heaven, then it's worth every ounce of energy that we put into anything that we do for the cause of Christ. It specifies died on a cross. A torturous death, because most people who died on a cross died from suffocation. They would push themselves up and take a breath and go down again, knowing, remember, spikes were through their wrists or their hands and their feet, and over and over again until they didn't breathe any longer. And Jesus did that all because he loved us. He loved us. It's not a sad point, it's an exciting point, because continue on with the reading as Paul writes this. Second thing I want to point out to you is Jesus Christ is the living and powerful Lord, right from our core value again. The living and powerful Lord. So let's look now at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, crowned him is what that word is, given to him. He's handed him the scepter and the name that is above every name. He has the name that is above every name. God highly exalted him for what he did for us, and he gave to him that scepter back, and he has the name that is above every name. He is the living and powerful Lord. He is living, folks. That tomb is empty. Nobody stole his body. He rose from dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell. He is in heaven preparing a place for us. He is alive, and he's coming back for us again. That's not a fairy tale. That's not a news story. That is reality. And I plead with you if you're here today that you perhaps think, no, maybe that's not who Jesus is telling you. I could bring up hundreds more than what you saw on the screen to tell you how Jesus Christ changed them because he forgave them of their sins and gave them new life and had them break free from the chains that held them in bondage because of love. He is worthy. He is living. He is powerful. And that's the last part that you see here. It says in verse number 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Everyone at some point is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Someday the devil himself will bow before Christ and say, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Even he will submit to Christ. So I ask you today, who's Jesus to you? Is he your Savior? 
Have you come to a point where you've accepted his gift of salvation? He's holding it out eagerly to you. Take it. Enjoy it. Revel in it. When you come to know Christ, the Spirit enters into your life, and he gives you direction and purpose and peace, and you're sealed. And at that point, when you die physically, you will awaken in heaven, eyes popping open, coming face to face with God's Father, being in, with him for eternity. But while you struggle on earth, his spirit will be there to guide you. His word will be there to direct you and to encourage you. And he'll put believers around you to carry the weights and lift up the arms and draw the swords and give the encouraging words as we live this difficult life on earth until he comes again. So who's Jesus to you? Is he a lunatic? Good man? Is he a teacher? Or is he really the son of God? I would say unequivocally that in a court of law, as we look at what Christ has done, we could prove the deity of Christ. We could show you over and over again, not just through scriptures, but through the writings of history, that Jesus Christ is either the Son of God, or you're right, he's a lunatic. And I beg of you today to dig into his word, to look at all the data, and to be able to step back and go, he is Lord. I love the one verse that talks about after Jesus Christ had died, centurion looks and said, surely this is the Son of God. A hardened soldier acknowledging after watching all he did, this is the Son of God. Christian, if you believe that, if you've accepted that gift, that's what changes our life. So if you're caught up in the busyness where Easter's another Sunday or maybe a time to come for a breakfast or eat a big lunch or get together with family, it's more than that. It's the celebration of what took place that we might have life. Don't lose the wonder of it all. Don't let it become academic. It should change our Monday and our Tuesday and our Wednesday and our Thursday as we daily get to know him better and live out his calling in our life. And again, friend, if you're here and you don't know Christ, I would encourage you today, come and chat with one of us. Let us show you from the scriptures. Pray about it, evaluate it, research it. And I pray that you too will understand that Christ loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. So who's Jesus to you? So then we have to also ask this question, what will you do with Jesus? Will you serve him? Will you take him as your savior? Will you just get through another service and get through another week? What will you do with Jesus? Matthew chapter 28, 19 tells those who have chosen to be followers of Christ as he gives a last challenge to the disciples before he heads to heaven, a challenge that he intends for them to carry out and to pass on to hundreds after him, thousands after him, hundreds of thousands after him. He says this, go and do it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations in Nigeria and Poland and England, and Bolivia, and East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Go and make disciples. Hey, folks, if you really believe this, then it should be a motivation to have us get excited that we can take the gospel to all around us. I've used this story before. I'll use it again as we wrap up. Sometimes I can't sleep at night, and I take walks outside at night, and I'll walk around. And uh, some, you can imagine, if one of those nights I'm walking around, it's two in the morning, I'm walking down the street, and what if I were to look 
see a house up in front of me. And I see out in the yard some kids, you know, little bikes, maybe a little pool out there. Not right now, probably. Uh, a little pool out there, maybe a sandbox. You can tell kids are there. And as I get closer, I thought it was just a light that they left on in the living room, and I noticed that it's not. It's flames. In fact, wow, even since the block I walked, the flames seemed to cover the ground floor. Now, what would you think of me if I kept on walking going, boy, I sure hope they get out. Now, I hope that every single one of us would go and pound on that door. We would open it. We'd break a window. We would do whatever we could to make sure no living person was in that house. Get out! Come on! Who's there? Anybody? Go through the smoke, maybe even some flames to try to help them because, man, God forbid, a little child that was playing in that front yard in the sandbox the day before would be in that burning house. Christian, I encourage you, we have that same urgency for a world that's on their way to a place that God did not intend for mankind, but for the devil and his angels. And that we would go and say, I want you to know Christ. Not to come to my church, not to become my religion, not so I win my argument, but so you might have life. And I love the way the Bible says it, and have it more abundantly. Who is Jesus to you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for finding Christ. Thank you, Father, for the sacrifice that was made that we might have life. Thank you, Lord, so much that rather than destroying us, you sent Christ to die for us. Lord, I pray here that they wouldn't get complacent and they check off boxes of their Christianity, but contagiously motivate them in all things. That they would give what we have. But I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you, I pray, God, that they might come today to be have a spiritual birthday, to begin a new life with you. I ask this in your precious name.